Has the world gone crazy? Life is difficult. When you need help, where do you turn? Welcome to Christian Impact, impacting your life with spiritual truth. I am Dr. Kelly Blanton, and I'm sharing practical truths in the Bible that can truly change your life. Today is February 21st, 2024. We continue our series, Kingdom Legacy, and we are on Song of Solomon, Chapter 7. And with that, let's begin Song of Solomon, Chapter 7. How beautiful are your feet in sandals, O prince's daughter! The curves of your thighs are like jewels, the work of your hands of a skinful workman. Your navel is a rounded goblet, it lacks no blended beverage. Your waist is a heap of wheat set about with lilies. Your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle. Your neck is like an ivory tower, your eyes like pools in Heshbon, the gate of Bath-Rabim. Your nose is like the Tower of Lebanon, which looks towards Damascus. Your head crowns you like Mount Carmel, and the hair of your head is like purple. A king is held captive by your tresses. How fair and how pleasant you are, O love with your delights. The stature of yours is like a palm tree, and your breasts like its clusters. I said, I will go up to the palm tree. I will take hold of its branches. Let now your breast be like clusters of a vine, the fragrance of your breath like apples, and the roof of your mouth like the best wine. The wine goes down smoothly for my beloved, moving gently the lips of sleepers. I am my beloved's, and his desire is towards me. Come, my beloved, let us go forth to the field, let us lodge in the villages, let us get up early to the vineyards. Let us see if the vine has budded, whether the grape blossoms are open and the pomegranates are in bloom. There I will give you my love. The mandrakes give off fragrance, and our gates are pleasant fruits. All men are new and old, which which I have laid up for you, my beloved. Now, I hope you've been hanging with us through this series. If not, I encourage you to go back and listen to the previous uh, six chapters. Chapter 7, we are moving along with this study, and we've come to a, I don't want to say a new point, but this is a a point in in the study where we see a lot of what I want to think of as movement forward. If I had to maybe title what we're looking at here in Chapter 7, I'd almost want to call it uh, a, a prophetic mandate for growth and I know you're like what how are you getting all this well I say prophetic because there is a lot of future references to the church here a lot and when I say future I mean things that things that we're called to do in our tomorrow that's 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 future but I don't mean like a far off distant future I mean I'm not doing something now but I will be doing it later I'm called to something later and and it's a point of growth because of of how we're growing in our maturity with the Lord 
Of course, we are looking at this from the interpretation perspective of Christ and the church that does affect how you read and look at things. If we were looking at this as a man and a woman, it would definitely be a little bit different. But we're not. We're looking at this from the perspective of Christ and the church. And so with that, we have lots to get into. So let's jump into this. Verse 1, how beautiful are your feet and sandals, O prince's daughters. Boy, it just jumps right in there. When you hear that phrase, how beautiful are your feet, I can't help but think about the Romans 10, Romans 10, 15, where it talks about how beautiful are the feet of him who brings good news, the gospel, someone who's bringing forth the gospel message. Your feet are beautiful. We also see that in uh, Ephesians 6, with the armor of God, that our feet are shot or our feet are, are, are clothed with the, the, with the sandals or, or, or the gospel of peace. And so um, here, how beautiful are your feet in sandals. So there's this prophetic sense that our, our feet are beautiful because we're bringing the good news. And this is, oh, prince's daughter. Uh, again here, this is, a, this is sort of a, a statement of heritage. You know, who do you belong to? You know, you're the prince's daughter. Who's the prince? The, well, the prince is Jesus. He's the prince of peace. And, of course, the gospel is the gospel of peace. So, again, there's there's this, you see this emphasis here on some evangelism uh, from a symbolic reference here for the church. You know, we have these beautiful uh, feet. And, by the way, this is the, the groom, the beloved. This is Jesus speaking to his bride. He says, The curves of your thighs are like jewels, the work of your hands of a skilled workman. Uh, thighs represent spiritual strength. The, the, the strength of people is usually within their thighs or legs. Um, when Jacob wrestled with God, um, if you remember that, that story, and he was going back, and he was he, was, he wrestled with God a lot, and, and finally, when the Lord was like, well, what do you want? And, and he does that the Lord touched his thigh and he was wounded for the rest of his life he, and uh, and 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 I know that sounds crazy but the idea is that he took his strength so that Jacob was no longer going to be this scoundrel Jacob's name was usurper I mean he was a scoundrel and when God did that he broke his strength so that for the rest of his life he had to lean upon the Lord he leaned upon his staff um, but he's going to lean upon the Lord. Uh, he, he was no longer about his strength. He was about the Lord's strength at that point. That, and he became Israel. Um, and so here, the, the groom is talking to his bride and saying, your, your, your thighs, your strength um, is like a jewel. The work of your hands of a skilled workman. You know, um, yeah, Ephesians 2, you know, we are his workmanship created to do what? Good works. God has created us to do good things, you know, um, you know, if we love God, when we show God our love, we, we, we works come out of us. And here, of course, these works and our strength is tied to really how beautiful are our feet. You know, the, the work that we do for the gospel, uh, verse two, your navel is a rounded goblet. It lacks no blended beverage. We begin in this. What the heck is a, Symbolic of a navel. Well, your navel is where the umbilical cord 
was as a baby when you're birthing umbilical cord is there. That, that's your navel. So it, it, it represents, your navel represents connection, development. This is where you're receiving nourishment. And so because um, your navel is a rounded goblet, I know that sounds absolutely crazy. You're almost like you're calling me fat. But it's, it's about you, you're being you're well nourished. Your, your navel, that connection, your lifeline, it's a lifeline in the womb. Um, and of course, when we're born again, we've been well nourished by the spirit. Um, your waist is a heap of wheat set about with lilies. Uh, by the way, the word waste can also be translated here as womb. It's, it's not as waste, but it's the same word as womb. And so the idea of, uh, you know, we got, we got the, the navel there in this thing with the umbilical cord. So this thing about the waste or the womb, um, of course, that's bringing forth life. But it's interesting because we think nourishment being fed and it talks about wheat. Um, you know, you make bread from wheat. And so the idea that you've been nourished by the word of God, because bread is the word of God. Um, but it's, it's, it's a symbol of wheat here. Not instead, instead of bread that's been baked, this is a symbol of wheat. Because why? Because wheat represents the harvest. Represents the harvest, um, and so and and so your waste is a heap of wheat set about with lilies. And of course, we've talked about lilies. It goes back to chapter one, being the lily of the valley, and and uh, symbolizes your 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 praise and your worship. Uh, the lilies are also surrounded by you know thorns and things in the world. Um, but there, you've you've been again the the, the prophetic picture here is that you've been connected to the Lord, you've been nourished, and that and that you're you're full of his word for harvest that's been set about you because you worship the Lord despite what's on the outside of your circumstances. Uh, verse three, your two breasts are like two fawns, two twin twins of a gazelle. And then of course the twins, they represent balance. Um, we've seen that with the teeth. Uh, the gazelle represents strength, uh, endurance, because they, the, the strength of a gazelle isn't like a lion's strength. It's a, it's a strength. It's an endurance strength. It's almost like a constitution. Um, you can go long and far. Um, and there's a balance. And of course, breast, again, there's so much about birthing here. We've got a womb and a navel and, and the, and, and it's the breast of a woman that provide nourishment for a baby. And so we hear, the groom is, is speaking to his bride, the church. We've, we've been set to be able to provide nourishment to others with balance and strength and endurance. Your neck is like an ivory tower. Your eyes are like the pools of Hezbon. Remember this, this, this neck, uh, symbolizes your will, you know, connects the body to the head. Um, you know, and it's, it's not iron. Iron would be obstinate or self, you know, will. Um, but here the neck is like ivory and ivory was both valuable, but it also represented death because you had to kill something to get it. And so here your neck, the, the will is valuable, but it's also represented that it's, 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 it's a product of death to both our flesh. We have to die to ourselves to become valuable. 
Um, your eyes are like the pools in Heshbon by the gate of Beth Rabim. Um, we've talked about eyes. We've been many times in this, uh, Song of Solomon. We've seen that the, the bride's eyes are called dove's eyes. They don't have peripheral vision. They only focus forward. Now they're being compared to this, this pool. Now, this pool was really inter- interesting. Now, Heshbon means stronghold. Um, this pool was actually located, um, you know, in a Levitical city of refuge. So it's a place of safety. It's where you go um, not to be condemned for what you've done. Another thing about this pool is that um, it was it was very calm. It was very clear. It was very reflective. You could often, often see your reflection in it. Um, and, and again, our eyes, we reflect our, our Savior. We reflect Jesus in our eyes. And the last thing about this, this pool is that it was a, it was also very clear and very common. You can see the fish in the pool. And of course, we've been called to what? We've already seen that. The, we've been called to this evangelism. This, this gospel that we're supposed to share. And so you get into this bath for being, it means daughter or many, or it could mean city. Of meaning it speaks of the multitudes from which we as the bride are to minister to. And what is, what happens when we go to minister is that we should be reflecting Jesus in our eyes as we're looking to be fishers of men. So, um, oh yes, let's get into this, this thing with the nose. Your nose is like the Tower of Lebanon, which looks to Damascus. I know, I, again, you got to really dig into the, the, the meanings of these things because otherwise you're thinking, he just said she has a big nose. That doesn't make any sense. But our nose often speak of or represent discernment. When you walk in and you smell something, you know, Oftentimes, we even in the English language, if we say, I'm, I'm sniffing out something, um, you know, or I smell something fishy. We're really talking about our discernment. We're, 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 we're perceiving that something's not right or we're, or we're, or we're discerning. We're, we're, we're seeking out the truth. So our nose is that instrument of discernment as far as symbolism goes. Um, likewise, when you walk in and you smell, you can smell something. Does something smell good or does something smell rotten? We need to be able to discern what is right and what is wrong. So your nose is like the Tower of Lebanon. You know, towers were places where your watchmen would sit in a fortress so that they could see and they could see when the enemy was coming and they could warn the city. Um oftentimes the towers are always the first to be attacked because if you could take out the watchman in the tower, then the people inside the fortress didn't know what the enemy was doing outside the walls. And so here your nose is, is like this. Is, is, is that, is that your, your nose, your discernment is like this tower that, that you can see. And when it brings up like Lebanon, which looks towards Damascus, Lebanon, when, when this was written, Lebanon and Damascus were enemies. They were enemies. And so the, the, the towers in Damascus would want to be looking towards Damascus because the Assyrians would be coming from that direction. And so the idea is that you, you, you understand 
who your enemy enemies are and you're discerning in those directions. Uh, verse 5, your, your crowns are like Mount Carmel and the hair of your head is like purple, like a king held captive by your tresses. Okay, so we, we sort of kind of understand the head. Uh, this is the portion that rules. Uh, your head crowns you. Uh, you know, your, your, your mind, uh, is like Mount Carmel. Mount Carmel means a fruitful field. It's funny how Mount means field, Mount Carmel, but it, it's a place of fruitfulness. Um, could also mean orchard, excellent vineyard. Every time I hear Mount Carmel, I immediately think of Elijah defeating the prophets of Baal that happened on Mount Carmel. But, You've, you've been given a, a field, a vineyard, a place to plant that you are to, to rule, that you are to, to, to govern over. And, it, and it's your crown. And it says the hair. Remember, the hair represents our, our separation unto the Lord. We can often refer back to a Nazarite and why they would cut their hair and then they would let it grow and they wouldn't touch it. It's our separation or commitment to the Lord. And here your hair, this commitment, the separation to the Lord that's upon the head, that's upon the rule, is purple. Speaks of royalty. A king is held captive by your tresses. And of course, tresses is a, you know, I'm a guy, I don't know all about hair, dude. But it's, it's, it's a way that a woman's hair is, is done up. And so, but just understand this, that, you know, the bride's, separation to the Lord in the dominion that she's been given to operate in is like royalty and the king Jesus is held captive by how you dress it by how you groom yourself it's important in how you live your life Jesus loves to see us doing and performing what he's called us to do and perform he loves that about us. It, it's, it, it, it gives, there's, there's so much deeper meaning to this. Oftentimes, I think the closest thing I can maybe try to understand the feeling of this is when you're, you have children and they do something and you're so proud of them because you know they've worked hard and they've done this and you've invested whatever time you've needed to help your child do this. And all of a sudden they, they do this and they're accomplishing this and you're watching and, and, and you, you, you feel this overwhelming sense of pride and joy that's what the lord feels when we're doing what he's asked us to do now he's equipped us he's given us he's done all this stuff for us but he wants us to do these things yes god can do that himself but he's that's not what his desire is if he was going to do it himself he'd just do it himself but for some reason that he wants us to do certain things and he, and he has his overwhelming feelings. It, it captivates him. It, it pleases him. And of course, I know you can only please God by faith, but it's our faith that drives us to do and accomplish these things. Cause if we didn't believe, we wouldn't do them. Verse six, how fair and how pleasant you are. Oh, love with your delights. Again, this is the, this is Jesus. Once again, speaking about our fairness, that we've been cleansed, that we're, we're no longer scarred by the world, that he's, he's, he bought us, we're pleasant to him, he loves us, he delights in us. Verse 7 and 8, the stat, this stature of yours is like a palm tree, your breast like its clusters. 
I said, I will go up to the palm tree and take hold of its branches. Now, I think it was the, the palm tree represents your stature, how you stand, how you hold yourself, how you, you carry yourself. And I was sharing this on Sunday. We, we live in the desert, and there are palm trees out here in the desert. I was talking palm trees, and someone said, yeah, but they all bend over. And I go, well, not all palm trees bend over. There are a lot of different types of palm trees. I go, the palm trees that bend over, especially when they're loaded down with fruit, are the young, thin ones, the real skinny ones, the ones whose weight at the top is too much, and they bend over. But we have palm trees out here that are mature, old. They're very large on their bases, and they're large all the way up. They're very, very straight. And no matter how much, if they had fruit, most of these are not fruit-bearing, um, that are out here in the desert where I'm at, we don't have coconut uh, or figs or, or dates or things like that. Uh, figs don't grow on palms, excuse me. But you, you, you understand what I'm trying to say. Um, but, but they're very straight. And so here the, the bride is being compared to this. She's like a palm tree. She's, she's very straight. She's the maturity, the strength. But then it begins to say your breasts are like clusters. And we're talking about clusters of fruit on a palm. And, of course, the clusters here is representative of abundance. There's an abundance. And, of course, when we're talking about breasts, it's talking about what? Your ability to feed and nourish others. There's an abundance of what you can do. And your stature is that you're, you're tall. You're straight and you're tall. And there's an abundance to you. And the groom says, I will go up to the palm tree and take hold of his branches. You know, Jesus is the vine. We are the branches. He prunes the branches so that we bear more fruit. But it it changes, though. This is changes, if you look at it. Because it says, Now your breasts be like clusters of the vine. The fragrance of your breath like apples. So suddenly it goes from being this palm tree with clusters to now let now your breast be like clusters of the vine. So suddenly we got this picture of a vine. Jesus is the vine. We are the branches. Vines also very symbolic. It's where you get grapes. You get clusters of grapes. That's where you make wine. Wine's very symbolic of the Holy Spirit. And so now, all of a sudden, we're supposed to have clusters of the vine. Listen, church, the, the vine is often representative of the church in the Old Testament, but, but we are supposed to have fruit that is the capacity to feed others. Our, we are supposed to be producing spiritual fruit that others can be fed by. We, we, the church is to be able to nourish the people of the world. And of course, you understand what I'm saying. Spiritually, we're supposed to provide that type of nourishment. The fragrance of your breath like apples, of course, that breath, God breathed upon us. You know, it's life. And we as a church, we have a breath and we should be, we should be speaking. You know, your mouth produces, uh, I think of James, the, the, your, your tongue, the words in your mouth. You can speak words of life or death. 
So literally when we breathe out, we're, we can breathe life or death. And the the breath of apples, I, I, I talked about earlier, apples were not indigenous to this area. They were something that if they were planted, it was on purpose. They don't just grow up naturally. You have to cultivate, bring them in from other places. Likewise, our breath. Listen, we don't naturally speak God's word. It has to be brought in from the Lord. We need to spend time in his word. We need to spend time praying and speaking to Jesus. We have to insert the word of God into us. But when we do that, then we're able to breathe that back out. We can speak those words back out. And, you know, when you talk about your breath, your breath, if you've got bad breath, it stinks. You know, it smells like some people's bad breath smells like death, walking death. It says, here, your fragrance of your breath is like apples. In other words, there's something that's been purposefully put in that smells good. And that's what the word of God does to us. It, it's it, When we speak, it should, it should have that freshness of life that draws people. And when I say draw people, you know, there's nothing like smelling like a, a hot apple pie or, you know, I, I love the smell of apples and cinnamon when like, we a lot of Christmas stuff. I love that cinnamon apple smell, whether it's in a cobbler or pie or just whatever, uh, a bread pudding or, you know, I, I love that. And that's when we when we speak out what God's put in us. It should be something that draws people because of fragrance. And the same is true with us, spiritually speaking. Number nine, and the roof of your mouth is like the best wine. Um, of course, we, the wine, like the spirit, um, the, the refreshing. The roof of your mouth. I don't know if you ever understood this, but the roof of your mouth is extremely important in speaking. If you have a cleft palate, you've got a hole somewhere in the roof of your mouth and it affects how you speak. A lot of times people with cleft palates say they, they may sound funny because they've got this hole in, in the top of their, their mouth somewhere and, and it's, and it, 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 it doesn't, it causes issues of speaking. And you, you don't realize that, but it's, it's there. But here's the roof of your mouth is like the best wine. In other words, the, your articulation and how you speak is, is a such that it, that the spirit, uh, what, what, what's said is, is, is like a good wine. And then I have a little thing in here about as of when I looked in this commentary, the most expensive wine as of 2018 was, uh, French, 1945 French Burgundy at $558,000. Now, I don't know if it's still that. That was a while back. That's how much the best wine is currently selling for. Our, wor- our words, excuse me, our words, I need to work on my words. Our words should be like the spirit. They it contains value. It contains value. Verse 9, the wine goes down smoothly, moving gently the lips of sleepers. You know, our, our words should be smooth. And I don't mean smooth like a trickster. I mean, we should be speaking life. We should be speaking things that lift up. I saw someone share a scripture um, earlier today. We all like to quote John 3.16. But John 3.17 is that God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. As believers with the gospel, 
Our message shouldn't be to condemn people. It should be to reach out to save them, to offer them hope. It should be filled with the Spirit and moving gently the lips of sleepers. Some translations say causing the lips of those that are asleep to speak. You know, when you think about sleepers, so much of the Song of Solomon is referenced back to the parable of the ten virgins. <clears throat> and of course, we know there are five good ones that get in five that don't. But the, the fact is, all of them are sleeping in the beginning. All of them went out to wait on the Lord, the Master, and they all fell asleep. And then there's a word, there's the word that comes out and wakes them up. The words of our mouth should be of such that when the sleepers are sleeping and it, and it hits them, that they even begin to speak it. You know, are our words such that even those that are sleeping, spiritually sleeping, it gets inside them so they can begin to speak it? Or, and if they do that, that could wake them up. I know there's a, another scripture talks about the, the unbelievers, they're, they're, they're blind to the enemies, put a veil over their eyes. To give them the word of God in such a smooth way that if they speak it, it takes the veil off of their eyes. Verse 10, I am my beloved's and his desire is towards me. I spoke about this last week. Here we see the growth of the, the bride and it's reflected here in this part. Um, oh, and by the way, see, I'm jumping ahead of myself. Forgive me, but it's the bride. The bride is the one that begins speaking when she says the wine goes down smoothly for my beloved moving gently to the lips. So the, the groom says the roof of your mouth. Uh, is like the best wine that you're speaking forth. And that's when the bride chimes in and, and says, yeah, the wine goes down smoothly. Um, you know, it moves gently the lips. I am my beloved's desires to me. Here we see the bride is now confessing, um, jumping in this. And we see her growth because she went from, um, you know, my beloved is mine and I'm his in verse in chapter two. And in chapter six, it was, I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. And now the bride is saying, I am my beloved's and his desire, his desire is towards me. So suddenly the emphasis has gone from the bride to a 50-50 thing, the bride and the, and the groom and Jesus, the, the Lord. And now it's, it's all about the Lord. It's all about Jesus. It's all about him now. The bride sees that. Now the bride is speaking, says, come my beloved, let us go forth to the field, let us lodge in the villages. Now the bride is saying, let's go into the field. Let's go into the world. Yes, this is about evangelism. When we first started this, the bride was very reclusive. She wanted to hide. She didn't want to go into the harvest fields. Now the bride wants to go into the harvest field. Let us lodge in the villages. The, the bride is looking to 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 uh, go and find the place um, where the spiritual harvests are that's ready for reaping. Um, she's ready to look for that spot, not seeking a permanent home, but just to lodge there to what? Get the harvest. Verse 12, let us get up early to the vineyards. Let us see if the vine is budded, whether the grape is blossomed, open the pomegranates are in bloom. There I will give you my love. Uh, again, let us get up early. Listen, Getting up early is a sacrifice. Now, I know some people are early risers. They just wake up happy. I'm really not one of those people. 
It, it, it is such a sacrifice to get out of bed, period. And really, it wouldn't matter when it was. It was super early or, or whatever. Um, I, I'm just not a great riser. And I would say about it's about a half and half. You either are or you're not an early riser. But to get up early, this, this shows that there's this, it's a sacrifice to the flesh, but there's an excitement to it. You get up early because you have something special to do. When I get up early, I'm not an early riser. I don't like getting up early. Why would I? Because there's something to be done. There's something to be done. And I want to do it. That's why I rise up. And actually, it's almost a bigger sacrifice when you, it's not you naturally. Because you're forced, you're forcing yourself to do it. And you do it because why? There's something better before me. There's something better before me. So we're going to rise up early and go to the vineyards. Now, I once asked, what's the difference between the vineyard and the field? If the field is the world, she said the fields are white for the harvest in the world. Why are we going to the vineyard? Well, there are many parables about God and the king having vineyards, and he's put workers there. Listen, the field is white for the harvest, but when you're called by God, he puts you in a vineyard. You can't work the whole world, so he gives you a specific point in the field. You got your vineyard to take care of. You have your vineyard. And the, and here the, the bride, the church, wants to go to that place the Lord has appointed, has called you to, and destined you. And the church wants to see, have the vines budded? Are the grape blossoms open? Are the pomegranates in bloom? See, this is where we want to tend. We don't want to be like, in those parables, the people that had vineyards and then they didn't want to care for it for the Lord. And they wanted to, to treat the Lord's people bad. No, no. The bride is one that wants to work the vineyard and is excited. I want, I want to see. I want to see. Where's the fruit? Is it the spring and things are just budding? Or are the pomegranates blooming? Is, is it ready for this? And then there I will give you my love. You see, it's working our callings is showing God our love. We think of those scriptures, well, this is in John 15, um, there's lots of places in the Old, Old Testament. If you love me, you obey my commandments. And we sometimes twist the meaning of that. And we try to say, you know, you know, that to love God, we have to, to do his commands. But that's not what it is. When we love God, we naturally do what he wants us to do. And commandments sound really harsh, but when you think about the Great Commission, taking the gospel to the world, it is a commandment. But we don't do it because we're commanded to do it. We we love the Lord. And therefore, because we love him, we long to do what he's asked us to do. And so when, we, when we're working, when we're doing what we're being called to do, we are loving our God. Today we have this so twisted up. We think we're showing love to God when we go into the church and we sing songs and we cry and raise our hands and we think, I'm just loving on God. That's not, that, that, that's you actually getting love from God. We show love to God when we actually do what He's asked us to do. That's how we love God. That's how we show God that we love Him is we, we're doing those things. Therefore, I will give you my love. We end this. Verse 13. The mandrakes give off a fragrance. At our gates are pleasant fruits of all manner, new and old, which I have laid up for you, my beloved. We're here at the end. Um, mandrakes, uh, um, they're a root. Uh, 
they've they've uh, they've always had the they always symbolized procreation. Um, they were always believed to enhance one's ability to have children. Um, even uh, I know myself; it came out of an occultic background, and it's very big. Mandrakes are very big in, in spell casting cults again because of the sexuality attached to that. Um, goes it's, it's across the board about what this means. So the mandrakes give off fruit. Listen, the work of the church should give off a fragrance that we have the ability to reproduce. Church, we have the ability to reproduce. We're called to make disciples. That means I am to reproduce in others what Jesus Christ has reproduced in me. And we should give off that fragrance at our gates. Man, the gateways, your eyes, your ears, those those places, what there should be pleasant fruit. We know what the fruit of the spirit is, but there's also fruit of what? When we when we're when we're working for the Lord, when we're doing those callings, there should be fruit. All manners, new and old. All kinds of fruit. Spiritual fruit. We should see people getting saved. We should see people ministering to. We should see the fruit of God moving upon them. This is which I have laid up for you, my beloved. Here's the church saying, I've done all this for you. I've done all this for you. It's, 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 it's the labor of love. When we go and we make a disciple, we're loving God. And someday we see in heaven that what all the saints, we've all been given crowns. And what happens? We, we cast those crowns before the feet of Jesus. Everything that we do here is not for us. It's all for him. It's for his glory. It's for him. And that's what we see this bride has done up to this point. This, this, this call to evangelism, this prophetic mandate that we are to go out tomorrow and, and, and impact people. We've been called to do that. And it's for Him. It's because we love Him. It's for Him and His kingdom. Him and His glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that You love us, God. That You have said and proclaimed such great things over us, God. And Father, help us to believe and live out these things that you've declared to us, God. Let us, God, wake up early and be excited and overwhelmed at the good things you've laid before us to do for you and your kingdom, God. That, Lord, everything we do, everything we put our hands to, is for you and your glory. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name. We thank you for listening to this podcast and this teaching. You can check out the other six chapters and other years worth of teaching that we've done in various series. You can check that out on our website, www.christianimpact.net. And until next time, God bless.